This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, all right, we start today, though, with the price of housing. Man, you talk about inflation. Housing prices are way up again. Rent is up, too. The cost of housing top of mind in Canada right now. And you know that because every political leader is talking about it. Every politician is promising to do something about it. I've got journalist Jen Gerson standing by here to talk about this. First, have a listen to this here now. You are going to hear Justin Trudeau, Pierre Polyev, Jugmeet Singh, all the major party leaders here, all talking housing, all making promises. Have a listen here. It's getting more and more difficult for young people to be able to get into the housing market. Owning a home here in this country used to be a right, and it should be again. One of the big problems that we're seeing is very wealthy investors are using the housing market like a stock market. So we're looking to double the amount of new houses built over the next 10 years. Stop printing money, start building houses. That's what a polyev government will do. We want to tackle that. We want to get big money out of housing by increasing the capital gains tax. A house should be a home to raise a family in. All right, every politician uh, making promises about affordable housing. Is it possible? Uh, Can housing prices actually come down with any government policy? Let's discuss now with my guest. Jen Gerson is the co-founder of TheLine.ca. I highly recommend her work. She's great. Jen, thank you for coming on today. No problem. Thanks for having me. Hey, Jen, let's talk about the article that you wrote for TheLine.ca. This one was really trending across Canada here the last few days. The headline... No one is going to fix housing. Houses exist to juice the economy, keep the elderly afloat on paper gains into their retirement years. I know you're hearing from the baby boomers on that one, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, no one. The baby boomers were not too happy about me for 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 pointing out that basically we have uh, mass created a giant housing bubble that uh, overwhelmingly benefits them at the expense of their kids. Yeah. They weren't super. They weren't super pleased with me for making that point. So do you think, so when you listen to politicians like Justin Trudeau and Pierre Pauly of Jugmeet Singh, all saying like, oh, I'm super worried about this. We're going to, we're going to fix this. We'll get to the bottom of it. You're not buying that? Which one of them is saying we're going to enact policies that will bring housing costs or the actual value of houses down? Yeah. Right. Because I mean, that's, that's fundamentally the problem is that everybody wants more and more people to get into the housing market, but nobody actually wants to enact policies that will reduce the value of the, of the houses for people who already have them. Yeah, and why That's is the that? Issue. Because they don't want to anger that that segment of the public, correct? Well, not only that, but now so much of the public is now bought into housing as an asset class yeah. and have put so much of their, or, or, or so much of their, their familial wealth and savings in um, their family home or, or their, their, their real estate investments that um, anyone who actually promises to bring housing prices down will uh, significantly and negatively affect significant chunks of the actual population. And I mean, it's not just wealthy speculators. It's it's your mom and dad. You know what I mean? Yeah, sure, sure. And you wrote in your article that, <laughs> I gotta love it, the boomer got his, and that's what matter. We have an entire government apparatus to protect that guy, the guy with the money, the guy with the houses, the guy who votes. So 
you know, I can understand how you're getting a backlash from the boomers on that. Like, what are people saying to you? They're saying, like, don't point the finger at me. It's not my fault I bought a house. Oh, it's 40 not, it's years not, it's, it's, yeah, it's not my fault I bought a house 40 years ago and now I'm sitting yeah. on six figure, six and seven figure um, uh, uh, gains. Like, it's not my fault my kids can't buy my house. Right? <laughs> but of course, that's, that's, that's the tragedy of the commons problem of housing is that, that it's not any individual person's fault. It's just what we did. And I, I, I kind of clarified that in a follow up piece where I was like, look, I don't blame boomers or older people for taking advantage of the economy they had. Good for you. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You bought a house for $40,000 in, in 1980. You had no way to know that you, know, you took a risk. You had no way to know that the, the, the housing gains would be as, as, as high as they are. And fair enough, fair play to you. Nobody else in any other generation would have done any differently. But the problem is that we now have a government apparatus that is set up to um, basically eliminate as much as possible the risk of those investments at the expense of keeping the house the values of houses um, uh, 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 just unsustainably high. And it, and anybody who buys into the market right now cannot expect the kinds of gains in housing values that you did. And so so like, that's, does, that's the result. How does that apparatus work there? Like when you take a look at the system we've got now, so let's say you've got, you've got a boomer who owns the, owns a home and it's worth a couple million bucks here in Vancouver or more then if that's the primary residence, there's no capital gains on it, on it, right? Is that the system no you're cap, talking about? No cap, yeah. there's, well, it's not even just cap, it's not even just that. It's no capital gains, it's historically low interest rates, despite the fact that we're seeing high inflation. It's uh, uh, the CMHC, which is basically an entire government-backed apparatus that's designed to take away liability for high-risk loans from the banks, right? That's Franny May and Freddie Mac, essentially. We have, that, we have that in Canada, and they're enormously capitalized. I mean, it's it, it, it's, it's the fact that we have no capital gains tax. It's the fact that um, you know you can write off housing stock, and it, or sorry, you can write off, or sorry, you can you can write off uh, certain portions of your your house against your your tax bill. It's the fact that. Um, uh, and also, rather than try to deal with affordability measures, or and it also has to, has to do with what's happening at the municipal level. Like, like, like they're, they're, it's really, really hard to build now. It's really, really hard to build high high density. It's ha- it's hard to expand out in in high quality ways. So the end result is that you have people um, engaging in suburban sprawl because it's easier to do greenfield development than it is to do inner city development, which you know adds all kinds of different kinds of infrastructure burdens on everybody else for relatively high high cost, low quality housing. Um, and it, and it's all of these things combined. Um, and the fact of the matter is, no one's no one's going to seriously talk about you know building another you know, half a million units in Vancouver because if you actually, firstly, you can't because we don't even have the the tradespeople and like the physical yeah. material to do that. But even if you could, and you were to build another you know half a million sort of townhouses in a desirable area in Vancouver. The end result would be the, the housing, the, the value of the housing stock would decline. So, you know, your mom and pop who has their, have their retirement savings locked up in their, in their, in their, you know, detached home in downtown Vancouver or, or in New West or wherever else is going to lose money. Yeah, speaking of Jen, yeah, I mean, Ger- speaking of Jen Gerson from theline.ca uh, about her article there on the housing market in Canada, highly recommend it to you. So I'll add another couple of things to your list there, Jen, on things that sort of protect the status quo right now, like 
Uh, you've got the in BC the homeowner grant available to people every year. Mm-hmm. You can defer paying your property taxes. Defer paying property taxes. You know, yeah. I mean, there's lots of little ways that protect protect homeowners. The resistance from densification. Like when I listened to Pierre Poliev, he was out here in Vancouver the other day talking about this, and one of the things he said, "Well, we got to densify. I am going to twist the arms of these municipalities and make them make them densify these neighborhoods." I was like, well, okay, how? we'll see if, how? We'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, how? What, what, by what mechanism are, are you going to use that? What leverage are you going to use? I mean, I'd like to see the technical, the technical readout on that one. But I mean, another thing that, you know, my own grandmother is in, in long-term care in, in Vancouver or Fraser, Fraser Valley, like that, that area. And one of the things that amazed me is that, you know, she was sitting on, like, they sold the house. She was sitting on $900,000 worth of housing gains for a house she bought in, you know, nine or 54 for something like $60,000. So good for her. Like, great, 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 good job, grandma. But she's now sitting on, on long-term housing. Well, they don't count her housing wealth against her income. So she's getting highly subsidized long-term care that doesn't eat into any of the gains she made on, made on the housing market. So the end result is like that keeps money in the family and that keeps money going to my parents. But it's that terrible for the system. Like, 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 like the idea that we don't, that, that she, that she is getting highly subsidized taxpayer funded long-term care facilities that isn't eating into $900,000 worth of unearned um, uh, housing gains. That's insane. And bluntly, as more and more baby boomers age out, that's not sustainable. We can't continue to do that. Okay, Jen, last question for you. So what's the answer to it here? Like, are you proposing like a home equity tax or something? Uh, I don't think a home equity tax does make sense. I would be uh, in favor of a capital gains tax, a serious capital okay. gains tax, so that that would make a significant dent on speculation, not only by wealthy in, um, by wealthy uh, speculators, but also ordinary people. And I would say, like anything beyond X amount in profit, should be should be. Tax. You mean so you like, mean like you mean like a capital gains tax on your primary residence? That's too. right. That's yeah, right. Okay. So like yeah, that's right. So say if you bought a house for forty thousand dollars and you walk away fifteen years later, um, and you've made one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, everything beyond a certain amount should be taxed as mm. an investment, which it is. Okay. Um, now I don't I don't think necessarily all of that should be taxed, but I mean like when it, 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 when when profits on housing start to become exorbitant, you should be disincentivizing speculation. Right. Capital gains tax is probably one of the best ways to do it. I mean, personally, I think the CMHC should be just done away with. I think banks should bear the full liability for all the loans that they take on. Like there's no reason why we should have a taxpayer funded entity, you know, protecting the banks from defaulted mortgages. Okay. <laughs> that makes no sense. Like, like that was brought in back in post World War II in order to get a lot of the veterans into the into the housing market. It doesn't make sense in an, in an era where we're treating housing as an asset class like we are. Jen, um, that was, is just a huge. Mm. It was great to have you on here today. Thank you very much great. for your time. Appreciate it. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. Here we go now with spiraling inflation. The shocking new numbers just out from StatsCan. 6.7% was the inflation rate last month. That's the highest in more than 30 years. Everything is going up. Gasoline is up nearly 40% in one year. Food, housing, rent, groceries up 8.7%. Airline ticket prices up. Even the price of household durable goods like furniture. Furniture up 14%. This is across the board here now. The surging inflation rate really hitting home with people. Have a listen to this report here now from Global News reporter Ann Gaviola. 
Nearly everything costs more right now, and few places make that as clear as the checkout aisle. I have six kids, five are boys, so they eat a lot. And my grocery bill has doubled, maybe even tripled. And that means we have less disposable income to go out. Canadian households are feeling the financial pinch. An Angus Reid poll released today shows nearly half of respondents say they're struggling to cover their grocery bill. In fact, 87% say the rising cost of living is their biggest concern, overshadowing fears of losing income or being jobless. I think everybody just has to learn how to budget and, and we have to live with it. There's nothing that we can do. But buckle up. There's more to come. Yeah, there could be more to come for sure. Inflation continuing to rise. Get set for interest rates to increase again as well. Okay, let's discuss now with my guest, Sean Simpson. Sean is the senior vice president at the Ipsos polling company. They've got a brand new survey out on this. Sean, thanks a lot for coming on today. My pleasure. John, let's talk about the interesting new survey that you guys have just released here. People really feeling the pinch here in British Columbia from inflation. What did you find out? That's right. The poll that we uh, just released with MNP shows that uh, more than half of British Columbians say they're already feeling the effects of interest rate increases. Uh, and that's up six points since, since December. And what's interesting is the poll was conducted before this most recent announcement. So it was just... 25 basis points that happened a few months ago that people are reflecting on. Now we've got another half a point, uh, 50 basis point increase. Uh, and I just, I just don't see how that number is going to come down over the next couple yeah. of months. Yeah, inflation is way up. Interest rates probably going up again. And when pe- this really starts to hit people in the bottom line, right? Like, what did you find out when you asked people about if they're worried? Can they pay their bills? They, they are worried. In fact, uh, 60% of British Columbians uh, are concerned about their ability to pay their debts. It's up three points since last quarter. And uh, many half now say that they're concerned they won't be able to cover living and family expenses without going uh, into debt. That's up four points since last quarter. And that's, you know, we're not talking about luxuries and vacations and things that people want. We're talking about housing and gasoline and transportation and clothing and as as your uh media interview just ahead of me uh indicated food which seems to be spiraling out of control yeah i mean these are the basics we're talking about here i mean we're, we're not talking about luxuries i mean you're talking about housing gasoline food shelter Uh, especially nutritious food like fresh food seems to be going up the highest i mean this takes a big chunk out of people's budgets and i think it really hits people on the the lower part of the income scale more than others obviously if you're if you're very super wealthy i don't know does it does it matter to you if if the price of your groceries have gone up but man when you're trying to get by on a tighter income this is where it it really hits home that's Your right. Rich Columbians yeah. already say that they have less money to, to go around. In fact, the money that they have left over at the end of the month, they're saying, is decreased by $269 per month. And that's just over the last, uh, over the last quarter. And we're now at the point where uh, uh, 35% of British Columbians uh, are worried and say that rising rates, if it goes much further, both interest rates and inflation, rising rates could drive them closer to bankruptcy. Uh, Speaking to Sean Simpson from the Ipsos polling company about the impacts of inflation 
and interest rate hikes, a lot of people feeling the pinch. Like that disposable income measure that you talked about there, that one really stands out in the survey as well. So did you say that's that's down a lot? Like so people have left less money yeah. left over to spend. That's right. It's down $269 from, uh, from the last quarter, and 46% of British Columbians say that they are $200 away or less from not being able to meet all of their financial obligations, and that includes a third of British Columbian residents who said they already don't make enough to cover their bills and debt payments. So if, wow. if debt servicing costs are going up because interest rates are going up and the amount of money that you have to spend on necessities is going up because inflation is so high, uh, that number is only set to rise. Yeah, so what, like a third of British Columbians right now, according to the survey, they can't pay their bills right now. That's right. They, have, it, they wow. have no money left over at the end of the month and struggle to pay their bills. Yeah. Right. And for people who are, they're looking at the bottom line, they're seeing their costs go up. No one's getting big raises to match these inflation rates, or very few people are. So a lot of people are just, what did you say? You're $200 away from not meeting, being able to pay your bills. Yeah, 200 or less. That's yeah. roughly half of British Columbians are in that boat. Yeah. What about, people obviously have to tighten their belts. They've got to contract their household budgets. They've got to spend less I mean, are people doing that? People have got to get by somehow. Yeah, certainly. I think many are going to be looking at reducing their uh, their expenses. You know, we hear so much uh, from economists about how much money Canadians have saved over the pandemic, and they're sitting on billions of dollars. But it certainly doesn't feel that way, does it? Maybe it's 1% yeah. sitting on, you know, a billion and the 99% sitting on nothing. Uh, you know, Canadians over the last two years have struggled, and they're looking forward to summer vacations, but... You know, with these figures, it's hard to see how, uh, you know, those half who are within $200 a month of, of being yeah. insolvent, uh, how they're going to get a vacation after they, they so d- deserve it after the last two years. I wonder what's going on over at the Bank of Canada when they're taking a look at these inflation numbers just out from StatsCan. We saw that big interest rate hike last week, uh, the biggest in decades, a half point interest rates likely to go up again, I imagine. What kind of impact could that have? Well, yeah, clearly the Bank of Canada uh, and, and other economists were surprised at the, the pace of inflation. It was even higher than they had expected, closer to 7%, instead of they were thinking closer to 6%. Um, they were already telegraphing that another 50 basis point uh, increase in the interest rate was in our future. That almost seems uh, certain now, given yeah. given these most recent numbers. So anybody with a uh, line of credit, uh, variable rate mortgages, um, they're going to be in uh, in rough shape because it'll have been essentially a percentage point increase in the span of just a couple of months. Sean, thanks for coming on with the numbers. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Thank you. So let's talk about that devastating fire in Gastown last week. The 115-year-old Winters Hotel Heritage Building. It was a single-room occupancy uh, hotel. Brutal fire there has displaced 150 residents and many businesses in that uh, area. Thankfully, no fatalities there. Boy, when I saw that fire at first, uh, man, I hope everyone gets out of there. Happily, they did. Now, the building, though, it cannot be saved. It is being torn down. Now, we're going to talk about what should be next for that site. Uh, but first, have a listen to this report from Global News reporter Andrea McPherson. The city of Vancouver says the demolition of the Winters Hotel will start today and will hopefully be completed by Thursday. 
The city will make every effort to finish the demolition process as quickly as possible with all safety precautions in place, as we appreciate this is a significant disruption to residents and businesses. While the demolition is ongoing, businesses and gas towns are able to operate as normal. People in the area asked to steer clear of the site and businesses being asked to close their doors and windows during this time. Air quality monitoring will also be in place. This has been a very difficult time for the seven businesses in 203 Abbott Street. We've taken the additional step of contacting a third-party engineer to complete an independent structural assessment of the building in addition to our city-completed assessment to determine the safety of entering the building before demolition. Unfortunately, this heritage building cannot be saved. The roof has collapsed into the third floor. Structural integrity is a concern. Monitoring will also be done for the potential of hazardous materials like asbestos. The area can also expect power outages starting on Wednesday as well as loud noises from excavators. It's unclear when cleanup work will officially be finished. Okay, that report there from Andrea McPherson, Global News. The hotel was built in 1907 and cannot be saved after that fire. As you heard in that report, the building is being demolished. This week, let's discuss now with my guest, Wally Wargalat. He is the executive director of the Gastown Business Improvement Association. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Wally, thank you very much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, good morning. Good morning to you, Wally. What went through your mind when you heard about that fire? Boy, that's an historical building down there. Definitely, no. Uh, it was uh, it was certainly heartbreaking to uh, to hear about it and, and see what happened. Uh, for sure, Mike. Uh, very uh, quaint building. It occupied seven businesses, uh, some of them owner-occupied, some of them in our neighborhood for uh, almost two decades. So it was a, it was a very difficult uh, day, and it's been a very difficult week uh, in uh, dealing with uh, the, a- the aftermath of the, of the fire. Yeah, what happens to all the people who are living there and the businesses that have Im- been impacted? Well, I, I believe that uh, the residents of the Winters actually have found a new space uh, in the downtown east side, and that relocation is happening this week. Uh, unfortunately, the news is not as good for the seven businesses impacted. Uh, we are currently uh, working with a couple of them to try and find some uh, new space in Gastown, but that process is going to take uh, much longer. But uh, we're, we're, we're hopeful that we can retain uh, all of them uh, at some point here in the near future. What is what is the plan now for for that site? This building is being torn down. Are there any decisions made at this point? Like, would be another single room occupancy hotel put up there, or would they go with some sort of commercial or residential structure? What, what's going to happen there? It's a, it's an excellent question, and certainly we're hoping that. The, uh, the the folks who have the site or who will take over that site will take into consideration uh, the the neighborhood and it is a, a business centric neighborhood a retail district uh, we also have over 300 businesses above ground there too as well as residents and and social housing so I think in in today's day and age uh, Mike we all understand there's uh, limited space in Vancouver and we need to have creative thinking and multi-use spaces throughout this uh, city and certainly specific Specifically here in Gastown, it's, uh, it's what we're known for. It's what we do well, and uh, we're hoping that uh, that is what is uh, put into place uh, at uh, some some point in the near future. Can you describe that area there? Like, is that is that right in Gastown, or sort of what part of the neighborhood is that in there? Yeah, no, definitely. It's the heart of Gastown, uh, yeah. Abbott and Water, right? Uh, we uh, The neighborhood starts uh, really at the corner of uh, um, 
Abbott, uh, sorry, it started the corner of Water and Cordova and Richards and then goes uh, east to Columbia. So we're talking the, the, the heart of, uh, of our neighborhood has been uh, really negatively impacted. Yeah, speaking of Wally Wargle at Executive Director of Gastown Business Improvement Association, the historic Winters Hotel being demolished this week after that fire. The hotel, it's privately owned, right? It's not owned by the city, is it? Uh, the building was owned by a private uh, private person, and then the uh, hotel was managed by Atira. And then we had, like I said, seven uh, individual businesses yeah. that uh, took up the commercial space on the ground floor there, Mike. Yeah, the commercial, I guess the commercial operators, were they were renting space there, I suppose, were they? Correct, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Would you like, like, in your sort of best case scenario, like, if you if you had your wish, what would you like to see people put put in there? Well, like like I said, I think uh, we certainly mixed use spaces are are key to the to the city of Vancouver. So definitely, we want to see retail space brought back to the to the ground floor. Uh, It activates this uh, activates the space, creates a vibrant neighborhood uh, above ground. You know, certainly maybe there's some housing needs, um, both market rental and social housing, and uh, maybe we get creative and have uh, office space in there too, like we, we we do throughout the neighborhood. So certainly. I, I think it's uh, our focus from the business perspective is we want those retail spaces back in, in our neighborhood. There's no question about that. Yeah. What can you say about uh, the situation in the neighborhood right now? Like we've talked a lot about some of the problems we, we've seen in downtown neighborhoods with some of the crime, break-ins, broken windows, you know, some of the mayhem that we've, we've been seeing. We've heard the police talk about increasing police patrols in some of these areas. I've talked to some of the business owners in Gastown about some of the problems and challenges there. What, what are your thoughts on that in, the, uh, in terms of the condition of the neighborhood in Gastown right now? Well, I mean, a couple of things. I think, uh, first off, um, the, the police have increased a presence uh, in, in Gastown and around the, the downtown area, and we appreciate that. It certainly it helps. Uh, the next piece of that uh, will be having the provincial government do their do their part, too. We see way too many repeat offenders. Um, it's almost a revolving door arrested uh, one day back on the streets the next. So we need some uh, help here from the provincial government in holding folks accountable for for their actions. The other thing that's going to help us just overall, I think, Mike, in public safety perspective, is we just need the vibrancy of our downtown to return. So that's people on the streets. So tourism is going to be a big piece of that. Uh, we've already seen in the last couple of weeks in, in Gastown with uh, tourism coming back and uh, folks coming back to the office, that vibrancy is, is already in increasing and uh, I think you you have a, a better sense of safety when there's more folks more folks on the street so I think it's a it's going to be a combination of things there's no silver bullet for these issues yeah I mean we need the tourists back for sure and we're seeing some hopeful signs of tourism rebounding we got cruise ships coming back and I've I've had a lot of people say to me well you know when people get off one of these cruise ships they want to go and experience the city are they really going to go down to Gastown if there's a lot of problems and mayhem down there? Like, do you think the city can do like a better job of, of attracting people down there? Or do you think those concerns are overblown? Like you say, you saying that you're seeing the tourists there now. Correct. No, yeah. uh, they, they are coming back. And uh, are there things the city can do? There's no question. Uh, we have been uh, working very hard in the last year that uh, I've been in this position to get the city 
to really take a, a serious look at the maintenance issues that we've had in our neighborhood for far too long. Um, before I took this position, I was a, a board member for eight years, and I can tell you we have been fighting uh, with the city to maintain and to create a, a maintenance schedule for our neighborhood that has been kind of ignored. Uh, the good news is the past year I've made some inroads there, but we need more attention. This is a national historic site, and it's really kind of uh, shameful that our city has let some of the maintenance issues go that they have. And uh, the progress we've made here in the last year, it needs to continue and it needs to be fast-tracked. Yeah, Wally, thanks for coming on with your thoughts on it today. Thanks for having me, Mike. You have a great At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Window. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. Uh, have a great day. Oh, the demolition is underway now in the Winters Hotel on Abbott Street in historic Gastown. This is a heritage building. It was gutted by that brutal fire last week, displacing a lot of residents and several businesses. Thankfully, thankfully, no fatalities in that really bad fire. The building, however, cannot be saved. It is being torn down this week. What should be built there in its place? A lot of trouble in Gastown these days and challenges in the neighborhood, too. we got the tourists coming back with the cruise ships returning. What do you think should uh, we can do to attract tourists back to Gastown again? Phone me on it. Let me know what you think. 604-280-9898 is the number to call. Star 9898 on your cell. Let's check in with Vancouver City Councilor Sarah Kirby-Young now. Councilor, thank you for coming on again. Good morning, Mike. Good morning to you. Thanks for coming on. What do you think, uh, when you heard about that fire down at the Winters Hotel, what went through your mind there? Well, your heart drops, um, and your first thought is that you hope everybody is safe and there's no no fatalities or significant injuries, um, and that was the case. uh, So thanks to quick action by Vancouver Fire. Um, And then, you know, your thoughts turned to getting people into housing, and then I think the small businesses that really are left with, in some cases, their life's work and uh, very unique tools, for example, such as the watchmaker that's on that site or who literally are standing across the street um, watching a rack with shoes still sitting on outside the building and they can't get into their spaces. So it's it's, it's heartbreaking um, on a number of levels. Yeah, I know it really is brutal. Uh, but yeah, you're right about the response from Vancouver firefighters and give them a give them a tip of the hat for sure, too. It was great that nobody was uh, we, we no loss of life here in this fire. Uh, what do you think should be built there instead? The building's being torn down this week do you think they should build another sro hotel there you know what i would love to see i would actually love to see it become uh, a hotel uh, to support our tourism recovery we knew that we had a severe shortage of hotel rooms that was looming over our tourism recovery um, and that was happening before covid we actually have had a net loss of rooms um, despite uh, because of conversions uh, to residential 
sale of properties, highest and best use, uh, acquisition by the federal government uh, for social housing programs, a number of factors. And so we're actually losing our competitive edge as a tourism destination and have among some of the highest rates in Canada. And I just think it would be incredible to add to our, the number of rooms. It's really badly needed. Um, and what an amazing experience to be able to stay in you know, one of the most historic neighborhoods in the country. Okay, well, that's a really interesting idea, and I suppose there are a lot of ideas that are being put on the table here right now, uh, and another hotel is, is another is an interesting one for sure. Speaking to Vancouver City Councillor Sarah Kirby-Young, Councillor, what would you say about the situation in the Gastown neighbourhood right now? We've talked a lot on this show about some of the problems we've seen in a lot of neighbourhoods with some of the crime, the broken windows, and the mayhem that we're, we're seeing, and I know there have been concerns about the tourists coming back, and the situation there. We got the the cruise ships coming back. Uh, I spoke to Wally Wargolet about this. He says, hey, the, the tourists are coming back. We see them now. But your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I've been down I'm in Gastown pretty often, and I've been down there several times uh, since Thursday, meeting with the small business owners. Um, the situation has been acute. Um, it was getting worse before COVID, and certainly it's exacerbated then. Um, I think one of the things that we really need to do is Eisenhower's on the street, so people coming back is really important, um, but also taking care of this neighborhood. So one of the things I'm pushing for um, is ensuring that we start the Water Street revitalization and repairing the state of the streets in the next capital plan. Uh, Council's going to be voting on the four-year capital plan on July 6th. That's a big piece of it. Um, another piece, obviously, is having sufficient and visible um, public safety and police presence. Um, and also, I think, too, as the city, investing in making it easier for festivals and events because those are the things that draw people out um, and get them back into neighborhoods so that they're enjoying the shops and people feel safe when there's energy and and that's what is happening in the neighborhood. Councillor, thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Back Here we go now with the battle over handguns. Should we ban handguns in B.C.? Should handguns be banned across Canada. Now, remember what Justin Trudeau said on this. He promised he would allow municipalities to ban handguns within their municipal borders. Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart, he has said that he wants a handgun ban in Vancouver. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum, on the record, he supports a handgun ban in Surrey. Now check out what's happening in Ontario. They've got an election coming up there in June. And now the Ontario Liberal leader there, Stephen Del Duca, says he would ban handguns, never mind on a municipal basis. He wants a province-wide handgun ban in Ontario. Ontario Premier Doug Ford has said he is opposed to a handgun ban. This sets up a huge handgun debate in Ontario now with an election looming there in June. Have a listen to this here now. This is the Ontario Liberal leader here, Stephen Del Duca, speaking yesterday to CTV. Have a listen. We're drawing a line in the sand on this one. Enough is enough. Enough talk. We want to deliver on a handgun ban. We're committed to it. want to work with our partners municipally and federally to make it happen, but I wanted to make it crystal clear this is the direction Ontario Liberals will move in. Okay, Stephen Del Duca, their leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, he announced this yesterday. He wants a handgun ban in Ontario. Could this spread to other provinces now? All right, let's discuss with my guest, Rod Giltaka, CEO, Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights. I'm pleased to welcome him back to the show. Rod, thank you for coming on today. Mike. 
Rod, thanks for doing this. Your thoughts on this proposed handgun ban in Ontario? What do you think of that? Well, it's it's lazy and disingenuous as usual. Um, you know, the, the the handgun ban issue has been around, I think, long enough for most people to recognize that that this is just election sloganeering for low information voters. And normally, you'd think, well, that that's okay, but it's bad for two reasons. The first reason is it pits. Um, Canadians against each other, right? There's like 640,000 people licensed to own handguns. And number two, it solves nothing. We know that, like this is fact. Every dollar that we spend chasing licensed gun owners around is a, is a dollar and, and hours that we don't spend fixing the real problem. That's why it's so lazy and so dishonest. Okay, I suspect it'll be, it could be a big election issue there in Ontario. They got an election coming up in June. You've got the two major political parties here on opposite sides of the issue. Uh, you know, I imagine the, the Liberal Party there in Ontario, they've been running behind in the polls looking for that issue, looking for that magic issue to catch the attention of voters. Maybe they think this is the one, a handgun ban. Like, what did the polls say in Ontario there? Like, do most, do most residents, people in Ontario support a handgun ban? Well, that's that's funny that you bring that up, right? Because it's it's a liberal it's a liberal tactic. If they need a channel changer or they're lagging in the polls, they get scared. They break glass and pull out gun control. And it's interesting because you had a lot of anti-gun folks last time in the last federal election saying, oh, gun control lost the conservatives the election. It's really funny because if you look at every polling um, operation in Canada, gun control did not even touch the top 10 issues for voters. So I think yeah. I think this provincial liberal party is going to make the same mistake that the federal liberals made. Okay. Why does anyone need a handgun? Like do you have a do you have a handgun license yourself, Rod? Uh yes, I do. Okay. Why why does anyone need a handgun? Like a lot of people would be listening to this saying if if they they don't follow the issue super closely think, "Well, I don't have a handgun. Why does anybody need a handgun?" What do you say to that? Well, it's interesting. So I don't have a motorcycle. Why should anyone have one? But uh, anyway, well, it's just it is what it is. Right. And and I'm glad you asked the question because I did a couple of and I did three interviews yesterday and they're like, well, what's the harm? And it's like, well, here's the harm. Like I mentioned, there's almost three quarters of a million people licensed uh, to own handguns. And many of them do. Most of them do. And this is this is very unique, very important property. It's probably some of the most important property a lot of people own because their relationships are with other gun people. The gun club is where they spend their time and their money and their energy and volunteering and holding social events and people travel to compete. And these people like literally never misuse their firearms. So what you're doing is you're taking an inherently responsible community and you're making them the whipping boy for uncontrolled gang fueled and drug fueled violence in inner, inner city. So it's, it's, it's the massive injustice and just the disrespect that these people, um, you know, foist upon licensed gun owners, right? They haven't done anything to deserve it. And that's, that's, what, the real, that's what the real problem is from our side. Speaking of Rod Giltaka uh, about the proposed handgun ban in the province of Ontario now, like for people who own a handgun now, the only thing you can really do with a handgun, you correct me if I'm wrong, is, is basically take it to a, a licensed regulated range where you can use it for sport shooting right like target practice right that's, and that's all you yeah, use it for yeah that's correct but i mean yeah. and it's funny because it, it sounds like well you just take it for target practice it's not it's not just that but like i mentioned right it's like a sport. all of your relationships all of your it, you know everything that you do in your off time it's very similar to to people that might own pit bulls 
Well, pit bulls have attacked a lot of people. Pit, and, I mean, what's a lot of people? I guess we'd have to look into the numbers because that's important. But it's like someone that doesn't even own a dog saying, well, you can't own a German Shepherd or a pit bull because those pit bulls once in a while bite somebody. And it's like, well, what about the owners? What about what the situation? Who cares about that? I don't own a pit bull. Let's ban them all. And it's, very similar, it's a very similar situation that we've had to endure for decades in Canada. So I really appreciate the opportunity to tell people the other side of the story. Yeah. Now, if you listen to the Ontario Liberal leader when he announced this policy yesterday, mm-hmm. promising a, a handgun ban in Ontario, you know, and of course he's challenged on it and he will be asked, well, look, isn't the big problem is gang wars, like you said, or illegal guns, like guns that are being smuggled across the border into Canada? You know, it's not the legal gun owner. It's the problem. It's the criminals. It's the illegal guns. It's the gang bangers. And he will say, well, there have been instances where legal guns have been used in the commission of crimes. You know, like he points to a shooting in Toronto. It was brutal here in on April 12th where, you know, a guy shot two people uh, in, a, in Toronto and police said that he had a an arsenal of legally licensed firearms. So, you know, the Ontario Liberal leader seized on that yesterday and said, look, here's, here's an example where a guy's going out and killing people. He's a legal gun owner. What do you say to him on that? Well, I say, well, how often does that happen? And it's extremely, and I mean extremely rare, just as rare as it is for someone to use a motor vehicle to, to kill somebody else. I mean, look at, look at the van attack in Toronto. 18 killed, 26 injured. You know, these are, yeah. the, you know, these are huge numbers, and for what, $80 to rent a van and a, and a valid driver's license, right? So you have to, I mean... Common sense is going out the window when people use all of these emotional appeals and these emotional arguments. You know, the fact is that 80 to 90 percent of illegal handguns come in from the United States. Chief Evan Bray of, of Regina, the, the, the president of the Canadian Chiefs of Police Association, said licensed gun owners aren't a problem. It's U.S. guns. Acting Deputy Demke from Toronto, Chief Raymer from Toronto, Dale McPhee, Chief McPhee from Edmonton, all of them in a recent uh, House committee, uh, public safety committee, said, we have no problem with licensed gun owners. There, we have a problem with guns coming from the United States, somewhere in the order of 80 and 90%. So why is it that the last thing that people want to do is deal with the root causes um, of, of, of violence? That's the last thing on their list. The first thing is take guns from people like me, and it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and I guess the answer to your question, you would say, is like it's politics, right? Like that's what this is about. This is like wedge issue politics in the province of Ontario with a party that's running behind in the polls. They're looking for an issue. Is that what you would? That's, is that how you analyze? That's it? absolutely right. Yeah. yeah, you're absolutely right with that, Mike. And it's about time that people start start putting some weight to this. Like that's a like that's a real problem, right? Because yeah. they're pitting Canadians against each other, and they're not solving the problem. It's, okay. it's people got to wake up to it. Okay, Rod. Thank you for coming on today. I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, Mike.